So Matthew 14, this is a very important section that we're getting into. It's new. Uh, Matthew, it, it's, it's now moving into Jesus' retirement. How many guys are looking forward to retirement? Anybody? Yeah. Retirement's not in the Bible. I say retirement is just more opportunity to be about the Lord's business. But that's something we should always be growing into. So we're going to be jumping into chapters 14 through 20. It really speaks of these uh, final um, things that Jesus had set before him. And we see him this morning. He's going to withdraw. You guys ever just like getting away? I just need to go away. I need a break. I need some alone time. Um, it's just good. And Jesus does this. He, he's going to withdraw from the multitudes. He's going to spend time alone. And he's got his disciples with him. And sometimes it's good just to get away with a small group of friends, right? People that you know well. And the reason he was doing this was actually to prepare them for the coming crisis that was going to happen soon in Jerusalem. You guys know what that was? His crucifixion. Did you guys know that Jesus knew why he was here? Did you guys, like... I always wonder, like, we know he humbled himself, emptied himself, that theology of kenosis, but as he was being uh, trained, as he was growing up in this Jewish home, a mom and dad who knew who he was, but were, were reading the scriptures to him, do you guys ever think that Jesus, as he was going through, like, this is what I'm going to be going through. This is what I'm going to have to do. This is my Father's will for me. You guys ever wonder what Jesus, the type of emotions? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Was it always a joyous thing? Yeah! I'm going to die on a cross painfully so people can be forgiven of their sins and be a part of my family forever and ever and ever and hang out with me forever and ever in heaven. Do you think that was always a joyous thought for him? I remember also reading the scriptures where he wept in the garden. If there's any other way, Father, let this cup depart from me. I could just imagine the wide range of emotions. Okay, He was just like us. He humbled himself, still fully God. But he had emotions just like you and I have emotions. There are hard things that we know we have to go through. And sometimes we know those hard things are a good thing. But we never want, I mean, who looks forward to those painful things? Anyways, we're totally off track. He's just preparing his guys because he knew from early on why he, was, why he had come, what he was going to do. So remember, even the disciples thought in the terms of an earthly kingdom. That's been their thinking. And Matthew's been laying out for us beautifully the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the rightful king. So it was necessary that he prepare them for this faith-testing experience. So the two events in this first half chapter that we have set before us this morning really illustrate the characteristics of our present age. A lot of people, why do you study the Bible? Seriously? You have church and all you guys really do is study the Bible? That's the most important thing to you guys? That was so long ago. That was for people so long ago. When's the last time we sat down and studied the scripture where it wasn't relevant to us today? You know, even this, what we're going through this morning, I... I as I studied, I'm like, this is our present age, okay? We have the king, and the king is rejected. Is that still going on today? Oh, wow! Maybe it is for us today, too. You see, Christ's servants, they will suffer and die for him. There is a reality of persecution. 
We've had more Christians martyred, dying for their faith in this last century than we have in the previous 19 centuries put together. People today will die for their faith in Christ Jesus. Don't take our religious freedoms for granted, guys. We are so blessed to be in America, to be able to express ourselves, our faith towards God. We have a, To be able to gather together just to study the word. There's so many people that are doing this today, but if they got caught, they may be thrown into prison or killed. I mean, that is reality for other brothers and sisters. So there is persecution, and we do get persecuted, even here stateside. It's, it was over, uh, you guys ever eavesdrop on your, on your spouse? What are they up to? What do they listen to? Sonny was listening to Can Ham this last weekend. There must have been a conference, and there was a gal on there talking about christian phobia. It's the first time I've heard that, but the second she said it, I'm just like, huh, that's our world! Because everybody has a phobia, they're scared of something, you know, but the world doesn't get us as Christians, okay? They don't get Jesus. Everything's so upside down, you know? Jesus doesn't shy away from truth. Truth is truth, you know? But despite sin, we still love people. I'm not a, phobe, a homophobe as a Christian. You guys know that? I've wept with homosexuals i've embraced and hugged homosexuals at length because i have such a love for them and i know my god and what god has declared what he said and what he is able to do i was born this way i can't change well i know a whole bunch of christians who've come to know jesus christ born again radically changed actually have kids now loving their wives What's up with that? I also know Christians who haven't been set free from that same sex attraction. But hey, they know their God. They've been born again. And even though I have this tendency and I want to lean this way, I know it's wrong. I know the author of life. I know what he has said on this subject. I don't know. I'm totally getting sidetracked right now. But this is something that we're facing today in our society. It is out there. And I just, anyways... The reality is, the world hates Christians, and the Christians love them, and they don't know what to do with it. That's the problem. So, I'm so sidetracked. One more point before we get into this. Christ's servants will minister the bread of life to man. That's our job. We get to serve people. We get to minister to them. And that's provision. So there's going to be persecution, but God also gives us provision. Isn't that cool? I love it. So, let's talk about a zombie apocalypse this morning. Really, Pastor? Yeah. Um, the reason is Herod, which we're going to see in a second. But we've heard of the walking dead, the night of the living dead, the dawn of the dead. Zombie things are very big right now. Very popular. But Jesus zombie? Really? Okay? Really? Think about, that's what Herod thought. This is what he was thinking. Look at with me at the first two verses in chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch uh, heard the report about Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. So a zombie, it's from, that, from the, the Haitian culture, okay? The, the, the Creole zombie, okay? Zombinism is really a virus or a disease that infiltrates somebody's body which kills him or her and that person is then reanimated as 
a zombie. So other persons are infected by a bite or the virus itself, which turns that person into a zombie. Thus, this perpetuating cycle takes place. So a zombie then is what? It would be a dead person's body that's reanimated but continuing the process of decay. A zombie is considered undead rather than fully alive. And when I think about that, I think about that passage. I don't know if you guys have ever wondered about Zechariah 14, verse 12. What are you seeing, God? Listen, their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away, their eyes will rot inside their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. I've heard a lot of different takes from a lot of different brothers, commentaries out there. I don't know. I always read and I think zombies. <laughs> I don't know. But a clarification for you and I this morning. We have to say, no, Herod, you're wrong, dude. Jesus was not a zombie. You guys, zombies are not reanimated and are in the process of purification. That's not what's happening. John is present in heaven with the Lord, Herod. That's where he is, Herod. In Jesus, he will eventually be resurrected fully back to life and fully in a functioning body, okay? So let's look again at the first 12 verses here in Matthew 14. We're going to see Herod versus John the Baptist. You guys know that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived? Some of you guys might be like, how in the heck do you know that? Jesus said it. I'm going to believe Jesus. And we've studied in the past why that was the case. But, verse 1 here, again, Herod the Tetrarch, he heard this report of Jesus. He said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him into prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, this is the reason he did it. Because John said, hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated... The daughter of Herodias danced before him and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she said, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded that it to be given to her. So he sent and he had John beheaded in prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Then the disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now Herod Antipas, what about this guy? We've heard of Herod the Great, right? Same guy, three kids, three sons. Four areas that he was ruling over, Tetriarch, okay? Antipas, he gets Galilee, Perea, Tiberias is where Antipas actually lived. He ruled from there. So this Herod, he eloped with this gal named Herodias, um, the wife of his half-brother, Philip 
the first. Kind of weird, right? So divorcing his own wife to do it, sending her back to the king of Petra. Uh, Eretus, I think was her name. Uh, verse 2, uh, looking at this, um, I think John was written on this tyrant's memory. I'm seeing ghosts! It's a zombie! You know, it's, it's John back from the dead! No, I think John just spoke so clearly. <laughs> he was so convicted by what John had told him that he was in that place of having, hey, this ghost of my past, okay? It keeps coming up. So do you guys have a ghost from your past? Or maybe ghosts in your past? Any skeletons in the closet? See, God sent many voices to warn Herod, but especially the voice of conscience. Second Corinthians talks about the conscience being seared. And we see that today. Oh, that's okay. I can do this. I know God's called me as a Christian to be set apart from the world. But our consciences are so seared. seared. It's to the point that our consciences, we're even to a point to say that there's no creator. There's no such thing. Look at each other. <laughs> this just doesn't randomly happen. It's impossible. You can't look at creation and say there's no creator. That's just ridiculous. But that's how bad our consciences can get. And I wish people would listen to their consciences. God gave us that for a reason. Everyone has it. Okay? He's given us that knowledge, but if we reject it. So conscience was speaking to him. And then he had the voice of a prophet. Wouldn't it be cool if you had your own personal prophet? Yeah, just tell me what's right and wrong. You know, that'd be so cool. Well, we have the word of God. So what other voices can we hear? You guys ever think about that? Does God speak? Absolutely. I think all of us would probably testify that God's spoken to us one way or another through the years. Can Satan speak to you? Oh yeah. Aren't we told in Ephesians that he throws those fiery darts, that he's the father of lies? Okay, he is after us. Satan can speak to us. We have our conscience. We have friends. Okay, hopefully we have good friends who give us good counsel when they speak. We also have our enemies. Our enemies will speak. They'll come back, you know, come against us, lie or try to defame us, or beat us down, defeat us. We have the world speaking to us. I want you guys just to pause for a minute and just think about what the world has spoken to you. Because we live in the world. Whether like it or not, we're living in the world. Some of you guys had the privilege of growing up in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. I don't remember much of the 80s, my childhood, but I do remember a lot that was coming through in my teen years and just the stuff that was being pushed, the agendas being pushed. You know, we were having Ellen come out at that time in my life. And ever since then, there's been a huge boldness. Television shows shortly followed that saying this is okay, it's acceptable. Um, a lot of the TV shows that I grew up on were geared specifically towards teens. That's not the case today, but there was like 90210. Yeah, I watched it. But <laughs> there were a lot of shows that were just geared towards that younger generation. And I feel like that set the course of where we're at today. We're seeing the fruit of that 
today in our society and it's swung so quick because you look at our nation built upon christian principles the word of god it's only been in a short few generations that things have swung radically not just a little bit but radically to the point that hey we go from our textbook is the bible to hey we're not even going to talk about jesus in school that's not even allowed things have swung quickly we used to pray in school when i was growing up that's unheard of today. Okay, I know I'm getting older. There's a lot more gray in my beard, but I'm not that old. And I, a lot's happened. And I think about how much is changing right now and what my kids are going to have to go through. And that's why we need truth. That's why we need to hear the voice of truth. We need to know what God says. Even to the point in the church, a lot of churches don't take the Bible seriously. We have pastors picking and choosing what they think they ought to teach on and picking and choosing what's actually true from the Bible, what was made up in the Bible, what did God really mean here. It's scary stuff. Sorry, this is going to be a long sermon. We're totally sidetracked again. But the point is, guys, a lot of voices out there. Conscience, the voice of conscience can be a very powerful voice. It can also be silenced. Okay, We need to speak up. Herod decided instead to listen to the voice of cowardice. That was his problem. And he plunged himself into terrible sin. Look again at verse 3. For Herod had laid hold of John and he bound him and put him into prison for the sake of Herodias. That's the reason he threw this prophet. I'm going to persecute this God guy. Okay? It's because of this woman I like. Bummer. Because John, verse 4, said to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So the prophet John okay, uh, was another voice that warned him and boldly warned him to repent. This is wrong. You need to repent. Herod laid hold on John because John's word had laid hold on him. Why does the world hate Christians? Truth is truth, guys. There's a reason. You can read Romans chapter 1. They rebel against God because they want to do their own thing, guys. Okay, They will stomp on the knowledge of truth because they want to be their own God. So let's note three things as we go on here. Sorry. Nevertheless, and he commanded it. Look at verse 9 with me. Catch these three. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. Okay, so the king was sorry. It also said, <laughs> it's also said a, a crocodile sheds tears over those it snaps in two. <laughs> Okay, so really, this is a poor puppet king. He basically put a clothespin on his, you know, on his conscience here. He was remorseful over the situation, but he was not repentive of it. Do you guys see there's a big difference between that? I can be sorry. Oh, bummer, I got caught. Or, oh, bummer, you know, I shouldn't have done that. But God's looking for repentance. Is there going to be a turning to him and a turning away from that sin? That's what God wants. Let me tell you what, repentance is the sweetest word in the Bible. It's not a bad thing to turn away from evil and to turn to God. 
It isn't. So, uh, F.B. Meyer said this, to tamper with conscience is like killing a watchdog while a burglar is breaking in. I like that. So be careful. The nevertheless, I see here how easily influenced he was. Influenced by his cunning concubine, his dancing daughter, his careless covenant, his beer-drinking friends. People are so easily influenced. People don't think for themselves. You know? Afraid of the jeers, Herod, are you too religious to put away a prophet? The fear of being thought to be weak proved that he was weak indeed. So who influences you? I'm trying to make this practical this morning. How can we apply this? Who affects you? Who speaks into your life that shapes your thinking? What's influencing you? You see, every friend, I believe, influences us, whether we like it or not. People just do. Whether for good or bad, people are going to influence us. So how do we, okay, how does each of our friends influence you? Think about that. And then, verse 9, he commanded it. Charles Spurgeon said, With regret, a wolf has, because he must eat the lamb, he gave orders for the murder of John. So really, these wicked oaths, guys, they ought to be repented of instead of acted upon. In the sight of heaven, it was Herod who perished, not John. Look at verse 10. So he sent and he had John beheaded in prison. No miracles here. You know, could Jesus have shown up and (laughs) here you go, John, (laughs) putting you back together. You know, no miracle took place to stop what was about to happen or brought about John's deliverance. And we read of radical miracles taking place of brothers in jail in Scripture and other places. Why didn't that happen for John the Baptist? Guys, we never should be shocked when a good Christian dies. It shouldn't shock us. We will be persecuted and we will have brothers and sisters who are killed for their faith in Christ. That's just going to happen. It shouldn't be surprising to us. So our friend John left his prison for paradise by one sudden strike of the sword, which still happens today. Christians are being persecuted all over the world. And then verse 11. Man, talk about a a mother-daughter combo. (laughs) These guys are a trip. I wonder if Herodias looked at John's face on that platter and he was still silently screaming it is not lawful for you to have him you see you guys ever watch any of those documentaries true story movies where at the end of it they'll actually tell you what happened to those key characters in real life you know they do that at the end you know Herod's could have been like this he lost his prestige and power His armies were defeated by the Arabs and his appeals to be made as a real king urged by his wife were refused by Emperor Calgala. And Herod was banished to Gaul, which is France, and to Spain. Uh, And then he died there. (laughs) Loser. (laughs) 
He had such an opportunity. I mean, he had the prophet, the forerunner of the Christ, John the Baptist himself. What if Herod would have repented and led his people to Jesus Christ? Wow! Would have been awesome. But instead, we read of him and like, what a bum. (laughs) You know? Look at verse 12. Noticed they buried it, not him. Okay? So the real John could not be buried. Could not be buried. Either can you and I, guys. You know? Reality is, this tent may go in the ground one day. It's <laughs> all it is. You guys understand that? This flesh, that's not who we are. This body is just a vessel for a short time. And then we'll be with the Lord. So Herod soon found out that being dead, yet he spoke. John He had taught his disciples well. Where did they go at once? To Jesus. Okay. Brothers and sisters, as you disciple others, that's what you're teaching people to do. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. He's the key. Go to Jesus. So who put, uh, you know, oh, let me see if I did put, I did put that in there. Isn't that a cute kid? I love that kid. So another question, who pushes your swing? You see, in the right hands, you can find peace, right? Even in life's twists, even in the big pushes where all you see is sky, you can trust him, right? Think about that. Do you guys remember? Oh, I'm way ahead of myself. We'll come back to the swing analogy in a second. I want to read some more scriptures because it ties into the swing analogy. Let's look at verse 13. So that was that enough with Herod? Right? Okay. Don't follow his example. Follow Jesus. Look at here. We're going to see that he makes us lie down in green pastures. Verse 13. When Jesus heard this, it he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, They followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came and said to him, saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke, and he gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate, and they were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. So Jesus, we have him now departing, right? Several reasons for withdrawing. The report of John, John's death, right? The growing, uh, you know, um, hatred of, of King Herod here. The disciples, they need rest, right? From their tour, Mark chapter 6, verse 31 
references that, and he needs to get alone to teach his disciples. Now, let's go back to the swing analogy really, real quick. Um, do you guys remember learning to swing? Yeah? Even some of you older people. I think that's one of the neatest things for children to learn and to do. Learning how to pump, right? Leaning back, throwing your feet out towards the sky, going back and forth. If you're really good, you learn the spin maneuvers as you're swinging, and you learn how to time a jump right off the end so you're super cool, you know, flying so high. Were swing sets taller when we were little? Okay, because I don't know if they were really taller that I was really flying that much more than my kids do today, or if I was just little and I just remember it as being super big. I don't know. So the, the one of the first places, you know, um, I think to, to trust somebody is really on the swing as a kid. Am I going to trust you <laughs> to be good? Can I trust you that I'm going to be safe on this swing? And it all really depends on who's pushing you, right? That's, all, that's what it really depends on. So if someone is doing it that we trust, you know, we could do anything. We're going to shout, again, again, don't stop. It's only been 40 minutes. Let's keep going, you know. Um, but if it's someone on the playground, some kid you don't know, you know, or maybe you're that dad who likes to push the limits, you know. No, you know, you, you go in a little more scared. Oh, man, I, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm feeling sick to my stomach. Hang on for your life. But that's the beautiful thing when we're in the hands of God. If we know who's actually pushing us, there is. It's just the most peaceful, fun thing. Don't stop, Dad. Let's keep going again, again. Even if he's pushing us big, <laughs> all we're seeing is sky. We know that God's got us. He's the one pushing us. So this is really what I think Jesus is seeking to do with his disciples in this life lesson. Trust him. Just trust him. So the why is the story um, is given by Jesus in Mark's account, chapter 6, verse 34. He said, they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So shepherdless Sheep, okay, folks trying to make it through life on their own. So when you come to the scriptures, are you looking for stories for personal growth? Or are you trying to understand the character and the nature of God? What is God trying to communicate to you of himself? The fact is that he can feed a bunch of people, right? We see that. Jesus is greater than his disciples. We know that. So what's the underlining message, okay? Is there one? What is he trying to get at? I want us to turn to John's account, okay? Same story, uh, John chapter 6 together. We'll take a look at just a few of the verses here. The first one we'll look at is found in verse 22 of John 6. Let's catch what he's getting at, what Jesus is trying to communicate here. John 6, it says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw there was no boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Jump down to verse 26 then. And then Jesus answered them and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you, or, you seek me not because of the 
because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent or has set his seal on him. Jump down a few more verses to 33. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So the miracle really was a symbol of the Lord's higher spiritual work that he was doing, why he had come to trust him in everything. That's what this miracle was about. This is what he is teaching his disciple, and I believe that's what he wants us to get this morning as we study through this. We can trust him with everything. Let's go back to Matthew. We see their rest, okay, in verse 13. Come aside by yourselves to this deserted place and to rest for a while. It's good to do that. It tells us by himself. In other words, not with the crowds, but with a small group. Every weary Christian worker needs to hear those words from Christ. It's important that we get alone from time to time and to hear God's voice to refresh ourselves physically, mentally. Vance Havner said, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll come apart. That's one of those quotes that's just stuck with me for a long time. We need our downtime, our alone time with Jesus. We need it. So we need times when we smooth out the wrinkles of our soul, get alone with God, refresh our bodies, and then we get ready to serve the Lord again. Okay, Weekend to Remember is coming up. Marriage Conference, downtown Appleton. And it just hit me, you know, I wish all you guys would go. Okay, you can go for half price up till next Monday. You can sign up online. Um, but it's an opportunity for couples to get together. And what does God talk about when he talks about marriage? The two shall become what? One, and I think that's something we often forget, okay? And I do hear quite a bit of that. I just want to do this, and I wish my husband or my wife was on board. I wish we were on the same page. I wish she would come to church with me. I wish we could serve. I want to do this outreach, this mission. The two shall become one, guys. Can't always do everything, you know, together all the time but we have each other. Even when we're apart, you're still one for the glory of God. Marriage is a beautiful thing. I encourage you guys, you know, you need time away, especially when you're young and with kids. <laughs> There's a season, life is busy, busy, busy. You need time out. You need time to pray with your spouse. You need time to seek the Lord because you can just get caught up in the routine of life. This is all we do. And that's what I love about a weekend like this. It forces you to look to the Lord together and why are we here? What can we work on? How can our marriage be better so we can be better together to serve the Lord and honor him? So I encourage you guys to go. It is time. It is good to take breaks. Now, well, I went on the men's retreat. That was my thing for the year. If you're married, no. <laughs> you guys need time away. 
So here a rest was much needed. Any guys feel like you're in a season where a rest would be good? I'm the only one. Okay, I'll take all your rests too then. <laughs> I feel like I could just go away for a while because let me tell you what, there is something that happens. As Acts 3.19 tells us, refreshing comes from being in the presence of the Lord. You guys know that I love Sundays. I love hanging out with you guys. This is good. I wish we could do it all day. You know, but the reality is we just can't hang out. Okay, I got kids to feed. And let me tell you what, after church is done, they are hungry. You know, there's stuff to do. There's always stuff to do, guys. But that's where we have to prioritize and just say, hey, I'm going to carve out time. I'm going to make this happen. And some of us, it's going to be sacrificed because there is a lot set before us. You might have to lose sleep. That might mean getting up an hour before everybody else just to have time with Jesus, to be quiet. Or it might mean, hey, I'm going to the bathroom for a while. <laughs> Whatever. You just make it happen, okay? We need that. And sometimes you just have a disconnect with the Lord. You can tell. Can you guys tell when you have a disconnect with the Lord? I can. Does it scare any of you guys? I hate that feeling. I hate praying. I shouldn't say that. I love praying, but I hate praying when it's like the first thing that goes through your mind when you start talking to our dad. You know, you're talking, oh, wow, I haven't prayed in a while. You know, I just went like this morning, I, I talked to him on the way to go do this. And now I've had four or five meetings and got this done and this happening. And I'm talking to you again. And I can't believe it's been a whole, you know, eight hours or whatever. That's kind of scary, isn't it? So we need to be in that place. And you can feel that disconnect at times. And I think that's when we really need that alone time. Because in that is where we're going to find the strength, an extra measure of grace from him. All right, let's move on from there. Um, look at verse 14. And when they went and they saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed the sick. So their rest was interrupted. Okay, um, Eager to be with Christ, they ran around the northern shore, shoreline there. Instead of resenting their interruption, do you guys see what happened to Jesus? He was gripped here with compassion. He wasn't moved with complaining. This is my time. How dare you? You're right. He, 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 you know, and I think we do that very, I mean, of course, Jesus was moved with compassion. He's God. He's perfect. You know, no problem. But a lot of times, you know, we get into that mindset. This is my day off. This is my time. How dare you try to interrupt or ask of me. You see, he wasn't moved with complaining. He didn't buy into that. Okay? And for us, sometimes it doesn't take much. It might be just that one phone call or that knock on the door. And the flesh screams, Not now, Lord. You know it's been busy. You know this is like my little chance to rest. <laughs> Not now. But he was moved with compassion. So having one's inner being stirred, compassion plus action here, guys. And it's found eight times. If you look at this phrase, it's found eight times in the New Testament, and they all refer to Jesus. Who's our example, guys? Jesus. What would Jesus do, right? We're looking to him, learning of him. We see him here with the needy multitude moved with compassion. There was twice when he saw the crowds were hungry. He saw the two blind men, leper, woman, and Nyan, and then he used 
he used it in three of the parables. So it all comes back to Jesus. So how do you react when your plans go wrong? <laughs> Something unexpected. Well, you see Jesus here, he sees this crowd, okay? Not as a mob, but as individuals. Every single person here has a need. Individuals who look like sheep without a shepherd, who needed healing, who needed teachings, who needed food. Again, Mark chapter 6, verse 34 lays that out. So do you know anyone who needs shepherding? Healing. How about food? You see, how can we help them find the good shepherd? I mean, isn't that the big point of life? (laughs) They need to know the good shepherd. So their challenge really is laid out in verses 15 to 21. And what's really cool about the feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. It's the only miracle that's in each one of the Gospels. Except for the resurrection, that's a miracle. I mean, that wasn't all the (laughs) miracles that Jesus did. So most public of all the miracles would have been this one. Verse 15, okay, here they remind Jesus um, that it was a deserted place, you know. There wasn't a Culver's or Christian's second favorite place to eat, Chick-fil-A or Chipotle if you're a Churchill or McDavid's. Not even a Starbucks there. What are we going to do? We're in a deserted place. Send them away. Okay? Guys, we never send anyone away who is hungry. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. We don't do that as Christians. Verse 16. We will give, Jesus will give us seemingly impossible challenges. Okay? You give them something to eat. <laughs> We're 12 and there's 5,000 men here plus a lot of their wives. And we didn't know about birth control yet, so we got tons of kids here too. Think about how many thousands of people were actually there. It was probably closer to fifteen to 20,000. Hey, we're going to go see Jesus today. Huge crowd. In U12, you're going to feed these thousands of people. Is this possible? Is this doable? Would you guys trip out if everybody here, hey, Glad you're here today, guys. Right after service, there's going to be 10,000 people out in our parking lot ready to eat. What would you guys do? Honestly, I'm going to sneak out the back. Can't do it. You're ridiculous. Well, I think this should be written on every believer, every church, every one of our hearts, guys. We have the bread of life that satisfies. Do you guys know that? We have Jesus Christ. You give them something to eat. Silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Guys, we have the hope that this world is looking for. Um, Five loaves, look at verse 17. Two fish. A meal that might feed two people. You guys know that bread and fish were staples for these Galilean peasants. It was part of their diet. Verse 19, it says, Jesus took them. What do you do? He blessed. He gave thanks if you have the NIV translation. So Jesus thanks God for providing the food. Okay? 
Um, I see once in a while. I'm, I'm naughty. You guys would be like, that is so unpastor-like. Um, but there's times where I, I make the kids, we all take turns to pray before meals. You know, every once in a while, the food's getting pretty cold because they want to pray about everything but giving thanks for the food. And I got to interrupt. Just thank God for our food. We need to eat. <laughs> like, you know? But I love, this is something even Jesus did. Hey, we're about to partake of a meal. Let's give thanks to God. I don't recommend cutting off your kids in prayer either. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so the sequence of the verbs, okay? Blessed, give thanks, broke, gave. This occurs again in Matthew, jot it down, 26, verse 26, which may represent or be re representative of a traditional blessing. But Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, okay? So we're seeing a neat picture of that. So he blessed and he broke. We are not manufacturers. We're only distributors, okay? We can't make it. We don't have it. But what there is, is given to us that we may distribute it. Okay, so the miracle took place where? In Jesus' hands, not ours or theirs. So verse 20, Jesus didn't only feed 5,000, but he actually taught the 12 in this. He sent them home uh, with a doggy bag reminder, right? Did you guys catch the picked up 12 fragrance, like huge baskets? Maybe Jesus has them carrying these big baskets all the way home so they don't forget the lesson. You know, get it, guys. So 12 baskets full, one per disciple. In the Old Testament, God fed his people with what? Manna from heaven, right? Okay, a bready-like substance, doughy thing. But there, theirs was no good for leftovers. Do you guys remember reading that about the manna from heaven? You cannot keep it as leftovers but this hey pick it up we're gonna have some leftovers mark chapter 6 verse 37 says shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat you see when you leave jesus out of your calculations you're going to come up short every single time never count him out and that they were keenly aware of the need here, and they knew they were powerless to meet it. So standing before them was one of one who had created the heavens and the earth, also one who had all power. So the first step is not to measure our resources, but to determine God's will and to trust him to meet that will. How many of you guys can testify, yeah, that's our God. He does it. It wasn't going to work out, but he did it. He does that especially when you're hanging with him. And you're going to see miracles when you're hanging with him. Why only were the 12, you know, there? Because they were willing. <laughs> we'll give up everything to follow you. We're giving it up. We want to be with you. And they got to saw some, see some radical things. And that's the same thing with you and I, guys. You choose to follow Christ, to serve him, to be with him. You're going to see miracles happen all the time. And you're going to learn a lot of really cool things through those things. So don't let God rip you off <laughs> from being a part of what he's doing. Um, yeah. Oh, one other thing that popped up in Mark's account that there was green grass. That just popped off the page when I was reading it. Just to show us how detailed scripture is, in John's account, chapter 6, verse 4, he mentions that it was right before Passover, which Passover is in the spring 
time, the only time of the year that grass is green over there, which is cool. You guys can jot down Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's our God. How cool is that? So Mark 6.40 also says that he sat him down in ranks. Okay, kind of like a garden bed. Refers to an arrangement of rows. Okay, it was organized. Well-kept flower beds. I love people that do it well. It's just like, hey, that looks awesome. Okay, um, so this is often customary for students and the rabbis to sit in rows, which were compared to rows of vines in the vineyard to well-ordered gardens. So they must have looked literally like flower beds there, all these thousands of people in this deserted place. So let's also remember, instead of telling Jesus what to do, verse 15, let him bring you back into a place of service as waiters. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It's not, I just check out. No, we're serving. And as we serve, God will renew our strength. So Jesus gave them something impossible or preposterous to do in their own strength. So when Jesus gives us a command, he'll actually enable us to do it. Okay, You guys may be hearing God asking you to do something, and you've gone to that place, I can't do that. That's impossible. How would that work? You just put God Almighty into a box. That's what you've done. God's asking you to do it. He's going to give you whatever's needed to do it. He enables us. So Jesus gave them something impossible in and of themselves, but he's going to give them what's needed. You see, we might face up you know, to the fact that we're inadequate in things and learn that Jesus is able to cope with any crisis, anything we go through. Okay, We also learn, again, total dependence upon the Lord when he asks us to do something that we can't do. We see that he is faithful, that we can trust him. John 6 makes it very clear that this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was a sermon in action. Christ, through his word, the bread of life on whom we feed, I think it's a privilege. It's also a big responsibility, brother and sister, that his servants to give his bread to this hungry multitude. The servants receive that bread personally from Christ. He's going to provide then pass it on to others. So as we wrap this up, just a couple lessons I think we can take from this miracle. Um, Christ can take a little to make much. Amen? We talked last week about the uniqueness of small churches. Okay, I think God's doing a lot through our little fellowship. A lot of things. Good things. My head keeps going to the pantry. A miracle. Talk about the millions of meals that have been provided through the food pantry. Can't afford that. Can't do that. Well, it's God's thing. You just step out and do. As we study scriptures, okay, what did God do through just Moses' stick? What did God do through David's rock, Elijah's mantle, cloak, window, the widow's jar, little jar of oil, Samson's donkey, jawbone in his hand, you know, just a jawbone. Okay? This lad's boys, this boy's lunch today. So your monthly missionary support check, you know, well, I'm poor. All I can give is 20 bucks. That's all I can do. Maybe it's your individual tithe. You know, I only make 30 grand. That's not a whole lot. 
How's that going to help out? That won't go far. Well, maybe it's your prep time, you know, uh, <laughs> that God is teaching you. Hey, you just give what you got. Take what you have and watch me. Watch me do. You're gonna be, your minds will be blown. So really, our means, his power, awesome. So whatever he blesses, he breaks. Are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to be broken? People today are in really a desert place of sin. I see so many people that are confused, lost, hurting. Sin sucks, guys. Going through chemo again. Why me, Lord? I think we all have had those questions. Why do I live in this fallen world? Why do I have to struggle with this? Why is my loved one having to go through that? Why did they just die? Too young. Talked with a technician. I give uh, plasma. Um, and it's a great opportunity to talk to technicians when you're there. She had a niece that died that was 19 years old years ago in a car accident. And we were talking about the, the what ifs of if she lived, the person she would have become, the things she would have done, did. And the question is out there, why? Why would that happen? Why would somebody be taken so young? You know, we ended up having a great conversation about eternity, the things that really do matter, how quick this life goes. No one knows the day or the hour in which we're going to leave. We also could be in an accident at any time. But the point, the overall big picture, you know, it's about God. We're given one life. And what we do with Jesus, that's the only thing that matters in this life, guys. You see, Christ can overcome every difficulty and feed the multitudes. The disciples had many excuses. Not enough money, the wrong place, the wrong time. But Christ took what they had to meet a need. And he'll do the same today. So as Jesus, um, <laughs> you know, uh, made you lie down in green pastures lately. I think he might be trying, but I've been too busy with my own thing. Well, that's what he does. He leads us to green pastures. Let him lie you down this week. Next week, we're going to see him lead them beside still waters as he walks on the sea. And then we will see him restore some souls, healings that take place. So I'm excited where Matthew is going, what Jesus is doing in his final weeks. So why don't we stand to our feet and we will close in prayer. Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I just pray you'd be teaching us continually. There's just so many things that you're up to and you're doing. Father, even in hard things, we see you working it out for good and we can learn so much in those times also. And also in times like this this morning as we're able to sit down and consider a couple of accounts here, things that had taken place with you so many years ago. But we're thankful just for how relevant they are today, how they're still true because you're alive. You're still all-powerful. You're still working through the broken. 
Father, those who are just willing to uh, give all that they have to you. God, and that's all we can do. Some of us, um, that's all we have. Lord, it's just our brokenness. <laughs> and you use that. We thank you for that. And I, I thank you, Lord, that you are good. God, I do remember trying to swing as a kid. It was so much easier just to ask Dad to come over and push. <laughs> just push. I don't want to do all this work to get going. Lord, some of us need a push today from you. Would you do that for my brothers and sisters? God, and we thank you that we can trust you, that you are good. Thank you that you are on the move. We thank you, Father, for the opportunities you've given us. Lord, we're excited about the outreach at the middle school and high school. We're excited about what you've done for many years through the food pantry and how you've provided and you continue, Lord, to really meet the multitudes on a weekly basis. It's just fun to be a part of what you're up to. And we just thank you for uh, just the privilege of being a part of it. Let us not take that for granted. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters. Be near to them this week. I do ask that you would lead them and they would follow you this week to some sweet green pastures. Just time to be with you, to be still, to know that you are God. I ask in your name. Amen.